are so happy that you are with us today. Our hope and prayer for you is the same as it is for everyone at Crossbridge, that we would all be taking steps of faith towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Becky Fry, and I am the administrative director at Crossbridge and also a member of our preaching team. And as you've probably heard me say in other messages before, I love to read. Um, historical fiction is usually my genre that I tend to go to when I want to read a fun book, but I do have to say I love a good biography, especially if I can relate to the person in the story. And even better, if I can learn from their mistakes that they did secondhand and not repeat those same things in my own life. Doesn't always work, but I'm always hopeful. So I have been really enjoying the past few weeks as we've been studying the story of Moses. Prior to this series, I hadn't really thought of Exodus as a biography, but it really is the story of Moses and God's chosen people, the Israelites. We started off looking at Moses' biography before he was born, and we learned that our stories start before we do. There's so much that happens in the prequel to our lives to set up our stories, and God is doing some amazing work before we ever come onto the scene. Then we jumped about 40 years in a few sentences as we watched Moses grow up in two very different households where he struggled with his identity. He didn't fit with the Hebrew people, but he also felt like more than just a boy who was lifted from the water. We accompanied him through his 40 years in the wilderness, where he seemed to settle into himself, start a family, and then meet God in the wilderness while watching his flock. God calls him to go back to the Hebrew people, his people, and to bring them up from 400 years of slavery that they experienced in Egypt. And finally, last week, we saw some of the miracles in the 10 plagues that God showed, that, where God showed Moses the Hebrew people, and the Egyptians, who he is, and how powerful he is, and that he is bigger than any of the boogeymen in our lives. Today, we continue with Moses' biography, but instead of jumping forward again by years, we're stopping only two short months from when Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go, and then changed his mind. In the past two months, or just a few chapters really in our Bible, we see the people rescued by God once again by walking across the Red Sea on dry land. We then see the entire Egyptian army decimated when they try to do the same thing and the waves come crashing together. And then finally, we see God physically leading the people through the wilderness, either through a pillar of cloud during the day or a pillar of fire during the night. Now, if I was Moses, I would be super pumped right now and think, I'm unstoppable. I can do anything, right? With, you know, God's power, of course. But the Bible tells us in Exodus 14, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Life is looking pretty good for Moses right now, you know, with maybe the small exception of you know, needing to lead a group of approximately one million people from a place they didn't really want to leave because even though they were in slavery, it was all they knew and it was comfortable to them, to a place 
that they don't really want to go because they don't know anything about it and they don't know where it is and it's completely unknown. They were thirsty, they were hungry, and they were overall, you know, just not really in a great mood. In fact, they complained a lot about everything. And that's where we get to pick up our story today, at a little family reunion that changes the way that Moses leads the people. You see, when Moses left Midian for Egypt in Exodus 4, he left with his wife, Zephorah, and his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. But once Moses meets his brother Aaron in the wilderness, it says, Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. And there is no more mention of Moses' family until Exodus 18. Now, I don't know why Moses' family went back to Midian, and I don't even know if this is the exact spot where it happens in the story, but for whatever reason, Moses' family was no longer with him, and they didn't go to Egypt. So let's continue in our story. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife Sephora and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh in Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. It seems like an awesome family reunion moment, but it hints at a problem in Moses' life. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Ruth Haley Barton states, the first hint that Moses' life and leadership had become unworkable was that early in the journey, he sent his young family back home to Midian to live with his father-in-law Jethro. Not a good sign. Evidently, his lifestyle was not sane enough to include a wife and children. Have any of you ever been so busy with work or maybe a hobby that you really loved that your family suffered from your choices? As much as I hate to admit it, I know I have. There were many, many years where, I'm sorry, where my ministry hours trumped what my family needed. And their needs came second or third or sometimes even lower. There are still times when this happens or when I would honestly rather go read a book or finish one that I'm almost done with, and I ignore what my family needs. It is so easy to fall into the trap 
of putting work or our hobbies above our family. Now, at the time, I never would have said that this is what I was doing. I was never thinking actively that I'm choosing work over my family. But that's exactly what my actions portrayed. It has taken many years of counseling and soul work to try to dig out that root problem. And I think it's the same root issue that Moses is dealing with here. It often feels like I'm responsible for everything. And that my thinking and my thoughts, my identity, it suddenly, subtly shifts from who God says I am and calls me to be to believing the lie that I am what I do, that I'm loved for my performance and what I can do for other people. The lie of I am what I do, like all lies of the devil, are easy to listen to. And when we believe this, we set up unhealthy patterns and relationships in our lives, just like Moses has. Let's keep reading. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this all alone? Why everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Do you hear how Moses answers Jethro here? It's all about him. He says the people come to me for a ruling. They come to me when they have a dispute. And I settle the cases. I give people instructions. Moses is taking the responsibility, which God has given him for to lead his people, and he makes it all about him. Though he is doing the work that God has called him to, we can see a shift of Moses' focus from what God can do and has done to what he thinks he has to do. Yes, God called him to lead his people, but that doesn't mean that he has to lead them alone. And thankfully for Moses, Jethro sees the situation for what it is and isn't afraid to call Moses out. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees, and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Wow. I don't know that I would have accepted Jethro's rebuke very well. 
I'm pretty sure I would have been defensive because I've been defensive in the past. Having our sin and our root issues exposed can be painful. Ruth Haley Barton says, Oh, how subtle are the inner dynamics that allow us to become caught in a pace of life that is unlivable. And oh, how desperately we need a Jethro in our lives to point out that there is another way. It is a very humbling moment in the life of a leader when we realize that we have taken on too much. But Moses, he listens to Jethro. He humbles himself and he chooses leaders from all over Israel and appoints them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10 to settle the common disputes and to bring only major cases to him. Moses begins to understand his limits and delegates to other wise men in his life. I love the fact that he also acknowledges the limits of the people that he's setting up in leadership. He gives them responsibility over certain numbers of people, honoring their God-given limits too. Some could handle 10 well, others a thousand. Their capacity and their limits were different. I honestly find it so hard to listen to this own advice in my life. I constantly forget that I have limits to what I can do. And I have to remind myself that I have emotional limits. I have spiritual limits for what God has called me to do. And I also have physical limits, which as I get older, my body does remind me more and more that this is the case. Our culture often pushes the lie that having limits means you're weak, that we can't hack it compared to everyone else, especially if we start you know, scrolling through our social media highlight reels. It's easy to look around and see what others are doing or what they've accomplished and think, I'm not doing enough. It's so easy to fall into the lie of performance. So how do we know if we're struggling with our limits in our own life and maybe need to share the load and delegate out? Well, we've already talked about one sign from Moses' life. If we don't have time for our family, we probably have too much on our plate. I encourage you to take some time this week and look at your schedules. What your actual schedule is, not just the one you think is going to happen. And see how much of your week is filled and with what activities. And don't just look at it on your own. Ask your family to have input on your schedule. We all need to build margin or space into our lives. And pushing past our margins and limits consistently is a red flag for us. But what are some other signs? Living past our limits can also make us irritable and hypersensitive. Have you ever gotten a splinter in your finger and you couldn't get all of it out? And by the next morning, it was so sore and so tender that any little brush that happened to touch your finger caused immense pain. Think about the little delays or problems or stresses that we come up to in life that shouldn't be a big deal. But now, when we're past our limits, they suddenly are. And our reaction is way out of proportion to what 
you know, is actually happening. Hey, Andrew, I'm sorry, because I know you got that from me this week. So, <laughs> do you find yourself, like I do sometimes, really easily irritated? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, I'm not alone. <laughs> and I know that when I start to find myself this way, my go-to response is I try to avoid it. I want to get away from the stressor, I will binge watch Netflix, I will eat and start to munch even if I'm not really hungry, I'll start mo mindlessly scrolling through Instagram even though I know I've seen every single post on here several times, or I'll go and get lost in one of my books. Emotionally numbing out or participating in excessive escapist behavior is another sign that we've pushed past our God-given limits and need to stop. Escapist behaviors actually drain energy from us, and then we no longer feel like we have the energy to make life-giving choices, and we start to enter a vicious cycle of unhealthy behavior. Our final red flag for pushing past our limits is when our spiritual practices and personal needs tend to fall to the bottom of our list and never seemingly get done. Our normal rhythms and times with God get pushed off to, I'll do that later, but later never happens. We start to look at our time with God as just something we need to check off on our to-do list. We slowly give up the life-giving activities that we enjoy. Time with friends becomes scarce. Exercise or healthy eating habits fall off. And we can find ourselves in a cycle of meeting everyone else's needs, but not our own. Whenever we find that we don't have time for God and our own needs, we need to have an honest look and assessment of where we are at and what needs to change. Like Moses, we need to stop and recalibrate our life and also rely on others that God has placed in our lives to share the load. When we live outside of our limits, we miss out on what God has for us because we're too busy doing a lot of things that he hasn't asked us to do. My counselor consistently reminds me that I like to pick up other people's backpacks and call them my own. But in doing so, I don't only shortchange myself because I'm missing out on what God has for me, but I'm shortchanging the other person too because I'm taking what's theirs and I'm calling it mine. My counselor has been a Jethro in my life, one of whom I'm very grateful for. What about you? Do you have a Jethro in your life? Someone that you can trust, who follows Jesus, and is willing to call you out on your crap in love, you know, when it's needed. Maybe right now is a Jethro moment for some of you as you hear the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you and calling you to something different. So what does this look like in our lives? I believe it looks like living in community where we truly live our lives interconnected with the people around us and less like the individual focused lives that tend to be prevalent where we live. 
We need to get back to living in true community where we, like Moses, choose a community of people to live with and delegate parts of our life to. People who can share our burdens. Now, that doesn't mean that I get to delegate out all the areas of my life that I just don't like to deal with. I am not talking about either just hiring people to you know, clean our house or do our landscaping, because although that does help us lighten our load, it's not building a community of people around you. And for those of us who are parents, it doesn't mean that we get to delegate the spiritual formation of our kids and our children, our kids, children, and teens, I should say, to Miss Mary Beth or to Pastor Will. But we're supposed to be building a community of voices around our kids' lives, in our lives, where they're echoing what we're already being taught. And I am thankful that the Sinet and the Smedberg family are two families who have helped me echo into my kids' lives over the years. When we are looking to live in relationship with others and delegate parts of our lives to them, to people who can help us and walk alongside of us, I will be the first to admit, yet again, this message that I stink at this. I am not very good um, at always asking for help when I need it. And I do feel a little bit disingenuous standing up here saying, build interconnected, committed, you know, communities around yourself when it's something that I'm struggling with. But I am thankful that our community doesn't have to be built in a day. And in fact, it can't be. It does take time and steps of faith as we're vulnerable with each other and as we learn to trust one another. What I'm talking about reminds me a lot about what the early church looked like, where they lived in community, where they all used the gifts that God had given them to serve one another, and we're called to the same thing. Paul says in Galatians 6, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone, anyone else. Bearing one another's burdens doesn't mean taking over what they're responsible for, but it's a coming alongside of. It's a helping and encouraging and sharing your gifts with each other. In Romans 12, Paul once again tells us, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing things well. I find it interesting that in both passages, Paul calls us not to think too highly of ourselves. It's hard to live in a community with other people when we feel like we're better than them. Developing humility and a biblical understanding of who God calls us to be 
is necessary to know what part of the body we're to fill. We're not all called to be Moses, but each one of us is called to play a specific role within the church and the community that we've created for ourselves. We need to learn to love and live within the limits of who God called us to be. There's no need to pretend we're a thousand-person leader if God designated us to be a leader of 10 or 50. But this does mean that we have to know who God created us to be. So where do we start? If you know me, you know that I like to have action steps that I can take. So I'm going to talk through a few this morning. First, we need to slow down and spend time just listening to God and what he's telling us about our life and schedule. He is our Lord, and we need to submit all areas of our life to him. Do we have margin in our lives? Do we honor our own and other people's boundaries, meaning that we will accept a no from someone as a valid answer without trying to guilt them into doing what we want? Do we find ourselves stuck feeling like we should do X, Y, or Z rather than actually wanting to? That should feeling is always a big red flag that we need to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. Second, we need to spend time figuring out what our natural talents, our acquired talents, and our spiritual gifts are, and evaluate how we're currently using them. Just so we're clear about what I mean, I'm going to define the terms I'm using here. By natural talent, I mean a talent that is, you know, God-given that you're born with, it's innate, it's just something that you've always been good at. Um, natural talents can be like having a good memory, or you're just really good at athletics, or you have musical talent, which is definitely not mine. Acquired skills or talents are abilities that we can work at and learn through training and education and, and practice, and they could be things like, you know, doing something really good with your hands, like you learn to be an electrician or a carpenter or things like that, or you um, learn to work with animals, or you hone your writing to write a book, those types of things. And then spiritual gifts are um, special gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit to be used within the body of Christ. And they're lived out in such a way that the power for our gifting comes from God and not us. So if you don't know what your talents or spiritual gifts are, I encourage you, one, ask God to reveal them to you. That's step one. And then step two is I want you to ask some trusted people in your life, your Jethro's, what do they see in you? Ask them to speak truth about who they see you as and what they see you do. There's also several lists of spiritual gifts within the Bible that we can look at, and if you want to check those out, a few of them are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. And then our final step for today 
is we're going to figure out where the first two steps come together. Are we spending our time using the gifts and talents in a way that honors our margins and those gifts and talents? Or are we saying yes to everything and we find ourselves missing out on what God truly has for us? I wonder what our lives would feel like if we didn't feel like Moses, constantly getting bombarded by all the requests and things that we have to do. If we took time to stop and evaluate each ask before we commit to the next thing that comes our way, can you imagine how much different our lives would be if we got to use the gifts and talents that God has given us to bless his church and our world? I love the way that John Thompson puts it in his book, Convergence. He states, Do not spend your life trying to be something God did not make you to be. Do not wish for other gifts not given to you by the Spirit. Do not waste your time trying to work in ministry areas you're not gifted in. The reverse is also true. Do not expect others to be or become something that God has not gifted them to be. God's plan for the body of Christ is us working together as a whole group and not appointing people to do the bulk of the work themselves. So where are you fitting in the body? As one example, let's take teaching. Maybe you love to teach. But because you feel like you're responsible for everything, your talent gets pushed to the side because you're too busy doing other things. And let me tell you, your teaching gift is needed. We could use it in CB Kids, CB Youth, or even here on our preaching team. We would love to have you if it's your role in the body. But maybe you find yourself in the role of a teacher because you saw a need and you just kind of filled it. But every time you teach, it sucks a little bit more of your soul from your body and you're just dreading every time you have to do it. Maybe it's time to step back and say, you know what, no, that's not my role in the body. I'm going to try something else. As long as we keep saying yes to the things that we should be delegating out, we're never going to have time to do the things that we're passionate about and that God has gifted us for. And I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know where he's calling you to maybe lessen your load or to step up and use a gift. But I do know that all of us, kids through adults, have a place and a role to play within the body. And like Moses' story, when we delegate out the responsibility to others and allow them to use their gifting, the whole community benefits, not just Moses. And conversely, when he tried to do it all himself, the whole community actually suffered. Looking at Moses' biography and listening to the advice that Jethro gave him helps us learn and grow so that we don't make the same mistakes that they did. As Pastor Jimmy comes up to lead us in communion this morning, I want to close with a prayer from Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And I'd actually love for you to say it together with me, so I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray together. God, help us live within the limits of what you have called us to do. 
Help us live within the limits of who we are, both as individuals and as an organization. Help us give our very best in the field that we have been given to work and to trust you to enlarge our sphere of action if and when you know we are ready. Help us know the difference between being driven by grandiose visions and responding faithfully to the expansion of your work in and through us. Amen.